have your Bibles with you this morning and you want to turn there, you'll be taking some Scripture out of the book of Isaiah in chapter 40. And uh, being as I knew I was going to be teaching Sunday school, this lesson or this message seems to kind of uh, toe into the Sunday school lesson um, reasonably well. And if you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 40, you're probably most familiar with the last couple of verses of it. Um, but I like the fact that Isaiah, he asked questions of his readers throughout this chapter in Isaiah chapter 40. Now we will, uh, uh, we'll start reading at about verse uh, 28 and read through the end of the chapter. But if you just skim the chapter, you'll find Isaiah you know, asking questions and speaking about the glory and the splendor of God and talking about how big that He is there in, in, in verse 12. He says you know, that the oceans are measured by the span of His hand and that's the, the majesty and the splendor of God. And you may say, Brother Jeremiah, uh, what's the big idea with this? We need to remember who it is we serve. We need to remember on a regular basis the power that comes out of the throne of God. And there's nothing that was made that wasn't made by Him. And there's nothing that goes on in this world that escapes His notice. There's nothing that happens that catches Him by surprise. There's nothing that... uh, fails to really enter into His understanding. Now, we may see things and say, I don't understand that, I don't like this, uh, that crisis has happened in our lives, but the Holy Trinity never meets in an emergency session. Nobody ever catches God off guard. Uh, I like the kind of the way that Brother Mark Terrell wrote the song, uh, Little Shepherd Boy, in which that uh, he says that David knows that his God never sleeps. Uh, that we know that our God is ever watchful. Uh, uh, that what that He has done for us and continues to do uh, and will do in the future, we can take that as an absolute certainty. And just like we talked about in the Sunday school lesson about Joseph and how he trusted God and he sought him diligently even when that everybody around him would have said, Joseph, that don't make a bit of sense. That God gave you that dream that called your brothers to hate you and to put you in this situation. Why would you keep following Him? And why does it make sense to continue to follow a God who seems so absent? And I can tell you that in this day and time, if you look at the world, you will feel like that God is absent. But I tell you that God is still very present. That God is still in control and He's still working. And you may not see it readily when you turn on the news, but if you look around in your own life, you'll look and see the roof over your head, the shoes on your feet, the food that you're able to put on your table. And know that there is a God. That there's still food available to you. That you're still able to get out of bed, that you're still able to lift up holy hands and praise His name and say they've not outlawed assembling of ourselves together in the house of the Lord and know that there is a God. And Isaiah is talking to a nation who has begun to turn their back on God and began to question the relevance of even serving Him. Now when they walked out of Egypt, the time that Joseph talked about in the future, and they walked out and they walked through the Red Sea, that they were beginning to inherit what God had laid out. And God had a plan. And God plays the long game. 
And what Isaiah here begins to tell uh, anyone that would hear, anyone that would read, anyone that would listen, not just then uh, in the context of when this book was written, but even in modern day United States of America, this word should speak to us. And it says in verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of His understanding. Now Isaiah is telling them something that they should already know. He's trying to bring back to their memory. And I can tell you as a teacher, you might teach somebody something and sometimes it sinks to the bottom in their consciousness and you've got to stir it up and get it back to the top and to the front of their mind in church. If you've been looking and been downcast about events that have been taking place around here, you need to stir up and remember that God God is still in control. He still has all the power. And I tell you, as time continues on, I don't find myself discouraged like most people would say, but rather encouraged because I know that none of this is outside God's understanding and outside of His power. You may say, Brother Jeremiah, it just seems like everybody has fallen away. Yeah, God predicted that. He said that in the last days there would be a great falling away and there would be a famine for the hearing of the Word of God. The Word of God is still going out. It's not a famine for the speaking or the dispensation or the availability of the Word of God, but rather it's because that people have turned their hearts away and turned their ears off. I believe Paul said it best when he said that in the last days they'd heap up teachers uh, because they had itching ears uh, who would pour upon them the things uh, that they wanted to hear uh, rather uh, than rebuking, reproving, and then encouraging uh, uh, that they would rather always encourage. And I can tell you what dumbfounds me today is you see people running around with masks and using hand sanitizer religiously and yet they don't realize that you might avoid the coronavirus. You might sidestep it. You might wear a seatbelt that will save you in an accident. You might avoid eating bad food. You might exercise every day. But at a certain point, there is death that's going to come to all of us. And after that comes judgment. And God has a plan for that too. But they discount that. It's so far off in the future. But the thing is, is Isaiah, he talks a little bit more about what God does for us. Then he talks about our own limits. And then he talks about what trusting God and waiting upon Him, looking to His will will help. You'll notice in verse 29, he says, And He giveth power to the faint, And to them that have no might, He increaseth strength. So many times in the Word of God, what God does is He takes somebody that's weak and He shows His strength through them. He takes somebody who should never succeed and exalts them and shows the world. You think about the life of King David. And for years it escaped my notice until I'd listened to other ministers and studied and the Holy Spirit began to open it up to me. How that it was that Samuel come to David's father because God told him the next king will come from the sons of Jesse. And Samuel told Jesse, call your son. 
And Jesse called seven young men there. And they all showed up. And the first one, Eliab, the big strapping oldest brother, a grown man. Samuel looked at him and thought, now this guy, he's got to be a king. Look at him. He just looks like he has the strength and the power to be able to rule. And God looked and said, no, pass. That's not the guy I want. I need a man with the right heart. And as Samuel passed over all seven of them, he looked around and God didn't choose any of them. And then the one lone son that was not called to the party. Samuel looks at Jesse and says, don't you have any other sons? Jesse was so convinced that David was unnecessary that he didn't even call him. And that was God's man. You think you're insignificant? I would submit that David was even more so. You feel powerless? Uh, David was a keeper of sheep, which was not a high stature in any society at that time. But he did so diligently, and they had to send for him. And how that God took a weak, and they, they described him, the King James Version describes him as ruddy and handsome. It means he wasn't very tall. He still had some baby fat in his face, didn't even need to shave. Looked young. And yet right there was where that God had Samuel up in the horn of oil and pour it down over David and anoint him as the next king of Israel. Because as God had said about him, He said, I sought out a man after my own heart. A man who had a heart for God. And God exalted him as a, as a young man, not much older than he was when that horn of oil was poured over him. He faced down a giant and defeated him. Not because of his own power, but because of the power of the Most High. And you think your problems are significant. But notice what he says in verse 30 and 31. Now here's the, the crux of the whole matter. Because we often will depend upon our own strength. But it says in verse 30, Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. What he's saying is that these people who seem to have all this energy... It runs out. Uh, uh, that those that uh, uh, seem like have all the strength, uh, at one point, they're going to be weak. And he goes on in verse 31, he says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. And what that makes me think of was a man by the name of Moses. When he was 40 years old, he had to get out of town, leave everything behind. And God didn't have him ready to deliver His people until he was 80 years old. And then I think about Caleb in the Bible there, how that he said, when I first went over into Canaan there, I was 40 years old. I was strong. He said, I'm 80 now. He said, I'm just as strong now as what I was then because God has kept me. Yeah, time is creeping up on every one of us. I notice whenever I get down at the altar anymore to pray, my knees kind of hurt when I had to stand back up. But I tell you this, if God needs me to be strong, He'll give me the strength. If God needs me to run, He'll give me the ability to do so. But it has to be for His glory. In our lives, you'll notice that what it says is they that wait upon the Lord. What that means is that you're constantly attentive. 
to what God's going to do. A few months ago, I had a classroom full of sixth graders, and I made up a thing for them to help them study for a test that was coming up. Because my first test, I guess, liked to destroy every one of their confidence. The kids at Vincent Middle School talk about how hard my tests are. And so I wanted to help them get ready, so I made up a Jeopardy game. I even, you know, the technology we have nowadays, they can buzz in. And those kids, and I told them, I said, you can't buzz in until I read the whole question. How expectantly they were waiting to hit that button to buzz in. Some of it hit a little early. They'd lock them out. And that's the way that I think this verse is talking about. It's not just sitting back and saying, well, God, I reckon you'll call me if you need me. Send me a text, God, and if you need something, I'm your guy. Unless I'm asleep or I have my phone on Do Not Disturb. But rather, it's waiting expectantly. Look, now? Not yet. Now? No, not yet. How about now? You know, we joke a lot of times with things like that, but that's the way God wants us to wait upon Him, saying, God, whether it's the middle of the night, the brightest part of the day, wherever that it's at, you give the Word. Because when I think about those that wait upon the Lord, I think about the end times and the way that it says that when God finally sends Christ back to receive the church, Have you ever noticed what it says when He's coming back? The first thing that happens, there's a mighty shout. With a mighty shout, He's telling the Son to go get His bride. Because He's so happy. You ever been that happy you just had to shout? We lose that as adults for the most part. But a kid, when they get excited, they get loud. They shout. When's the last time you've ever been so excited you shouted? Maybe at a sporting event or something like that where it's a little more acceptable. What about another time when everybody else ain't there? You see, because those that wait upon the Lord, their strength gets renewed. What it means is that they've lost it. They've lost their strength. They've been suffering and things got difficult, but they were trusting in God and they waited on Him. He says, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles. I like some of that. Yes, Lord, please. says, they shall run and not be weary. I don't know that I've ever experienced that. And it says, and they shall walk and not faint. And where Isaiah was getting all this, I believe, is he looked all the way back into the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy. And how that the children of Israel wandered for 40 years and there were certain things that should have happened that didn't during that time. Number one, they never ran out of food. They never even come close to running out of food. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes never got holes in the bottoms of them. That during all that time, God sustained them and renewed them daily. Sent the manna on a daily basis. Just a bit of Bible trivia, when did the manna stop? Do you remember? It was right before that they went into Canaan. That God wanted them. He told them right before they crossed the River Jordan, before it parted before them. And Joshua led them over there and they began to march around Jericho. God told them, He said, prepare for yourselves victuals. Now around here we call those vittles. It's food. 
God told them, nourish yourselves up so you'll have enough strength. But God gave them strength. And when they come up against the most fortified city in Israel, they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to climb over the walls. They didn't have to bombard them with artillery or anything else. But rather, they walked around and did that until the appointed time when they gave a mighty shout that says the walls fell down before them. And Jericho wasn't even ready for a fight. And there was a slaughter. And the one person within the city of Jericho and their family that survived was a woman by the name of Rahab. And it was because she believed at the Word of God. She was waiting upon the Lord. I imagine she gave a mighty shout when she got spared and her family got spared the slaughter that took place. That's one of the parts of the Bible that people don't really want to see, but they killed men, women, and children when they come into Jericho. Oh, God wouldn't do that. God can take whom He'll take. It's His right and His judgment. What I want you to see here in Isaiah is let's not forget the God that we serve and consider Him some fictional character. Somebody that is unconcerned. I mean, honestly, if every one of us sit down here and consider the highest power in the land here in the United States of America, we're very far removed from them. I seriously doubt that I could drive to Washington, D.C., stroll up the lawn at the White House at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and knock on the door, ring the doorbell, and be readily admitted and then get to go before the President of the United States, whether it be our current President or some past President or future President. They're not that accessible. But God is accessible to every one of us. Waiting. Listening. Hearkens unto our cry. Loves us so much that He even has the hairs on our heads numbered. Knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And we look at a time and a day like this and we think, oh, it's getting bad and God's not in the land anymore. Yes, He is. He still is. Because when God quits, when God quits on this world, you won't have to turn around and ask anybody. Because when that time comes, the bad parts of the book of Revelation, the scary parts, the things that you don't hardly even tell your children, those things are the things that are going to happen to this world. God's going to look at the world and say, not my will, but thine. But right now, what we are called to do is to wait upon the Lord. Waiting is not sitting around doing nothing, but it's watching doing what you can do diligently. Because Jesus, you remember when He went into the Garden of Gethsemane and He looked at the disciples, He told them, watch and pray. Why watch and pray? And Jesus said, lest ye fall into temptation. I fear that that's a big problem with people nowadays. Is they're waiting, but they're not watching and praying fallen into temptation. And temptation is real easy to fall into because it's something you want to do. It's something you want. Something the flesh desires. But if we wait, then He will renew our strength. We won't renew it. We won't get it. We can't go out and claim it or beg, plead, or steal or borrow it. But God will give it to us. You may say, Brother Jeremiah, does that mean I'll be able to run a five minute mile? If that's what God needs, I guarantee it. 
But now if God doesn't need that, don't count on it. If God needs you to sprout wings and fly, that's God's, if that's His prerogative, He can do it. But I can tell you this, it's not ours to try to figure out exactly how, it's just ours to wait. Joseph, he didn't know exactly how God was going to bring things to pass, but when he became a slave, he believed that God would do exactly what he'd heard Abraham and Isaac and Jacob say that he would do. And he bought into it. How much have you bought into it? We need to consider that every day and consider the God that we serve every day and the power that He has still over this world. Because if we don't, we'll begin to look behind us and to get dejected and depressed and discouraged. And we'll find dust begin to collect on our Bibles. We'll find that our willingness and our desire to come out to the house of the Lord has diminished because we feel like there's no hope. And if you don't believe me, just ask the prophet Elijah. He looked around and he seen that people had fallen away and he got depressed even after he'd won a great victory before the prophets of Baal. And then he goes and sits down under a juniper tree and says, God, I'm the only one that's left. God had to tell him, Son, you ain't the only one that's left. I've got a number. I've got a number of people, and God has a number of people in this great nation that still regularly bow the knee, that still hearken to the voice of the Lord and read His Word and know His Holy Spirit and are waiting upon the Lord. And that's what we're called to do. It may not feel like you're doing much, but when you're doing those things, you're doing a lot. And consider that. Consider who it is you're waiting on. And trust me, He's worth waiting on. Let's all stand. Get a song.